I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Blake Topmeyer is the USA Today Sports Network SEC columnist. He's the host of SEC Football Unfiltered Podcast. is available each and every week. Available where you can find your podcast. He's on Twitter at B Topmeyer. Blake, have you recovered from the scene in Knoxville? I, I have, but um, I mean, it was everything that that you probably saw from from afar. I mean, it really was uh, a neat environment uh, on Saturday. I was down on the field afterwards, uh, not during the uh, goalposts tearing down. The goalposts had already been torn down and carted off by the time I got down there. Uh, but there were still thousands and thousands of fans. My main goal at that point was to not get accidentally lit by a cigar, you know, get any mm. cigar burns. I did manage to get out of there with, with no cigar burns. But, uh, yeah, special night for Tennessee, and, and the scene afterwards was uh, uh, certainly memorable. I was impressed that these Tennessee football players, the ones I saw smoking a cigar, were not, like, coughing uncontrollably, like <laughs> – you know, like how many of them have probably ever smoked a cigar? Did Heibel not practice blood. it? I'm talking cigar. Do you think Heibel made him practice it? You know, like yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, like you practice yeah, cutting yeah, down the net, yeah, yeah, like, like Jim Valvano yeah, practice the game winner. Yeah, I don't think so because Heibel Heibel admitted it'd been a long time since he'd smoked a cigar. He said he'd smoked bef- smoked a cigar before. It wasn't his first cigar, but he said it'd been quite some time, and he, he couldn't remember when the last time was that he'd had a cigar. So, but. You're right. Sometimes you see those like really unflattering photos of uh, after this rivalry series, like you've, you've never held a cigar in your life. Uh, but uh, yeah, it seems like these guys had more experience than they they probably truly did. What was the atmosphere like when was it Hooker and Small who who fumbled the mesh point? Was it Small? It was Hooker and Small. Um, I mean, I tell you, I, I can really only speak to the press box mostly at that yeah. point. But the, I mean, the, the vibe in the press box was like, okay, this is where Alabama wins. Um, and, and I think that's probably what most people watching the game thought. Um, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen it, especially the last year and a half, Alabama kind of plays with fire, and then they more times than not, many more times than not, have wriggled off the hook. And, you know, that was kind of midway through the fourth quarter, if memory serves. And Alabama goes ahead at that point, 49-42. And it's like, all right, you know, this was kind of a neat story for three and a half quarters. And it's going to go down as the, oh, what could have been uh, type storyline for Tennessee. But, 
You know, I mean, Hendon Hooker was fantastic. I thought Josh Heupel's game plan was really good. You don't see many times where Nick Saban is outcoached. Nick Saban was outcoached on Saturday. Um, Alabama was outplayed. I mean, if you, Bryce Young was brilliant and, he, and did everything he could <laughs> to, to lift Alabama in that game and, and almost was enough. I mean, if, if Will Reichert makes that 50-yard field goal, Alabama wins that game, and it's almost exclusively a testament to Bryce Young. But Hinton Hooker was great. Josh Heifel was great. Uh, Hinton Hooker had a better supporting cast, uh, I thought, than, than Bryce Young had on, on Saturday. And in some ways, I think that was the difference in the game. I mean, to me, that was kind of actually the big story. Like, I thought there, I had two like major takeaways. You know, when Heifel's talking with Jenny Dell and in, He's asked to like give his emotion. He's like, I just wanted him to compete for sixty minutes. He's like, I said that before the game, and his team did that. And oftentimes, like wanting your guys to compete for sixty minutes, like we hear it so often, you just kind of roll your eyes. I did think that was kind of the story. Like they never gave up. Like they kept going. And then the other big takeaway for me was, it felt like Alabama was the team that had to have the superhuman performance to win the game. And Tennessee, it's like they they survived all these mistakes. Like that was kind of what took me by surprise. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, what took me by surprise, adding on to that, is just how much Tennessee punched him in the mouth. And and you heard Saban say afterwards that he thought his guys came out there tight, kind of um, and use the word overwhelmed, but anxious. I guess is a better word about the about the circumstances, about the environment. And you don't hear that from Alabama very often. And, and I think they played like it. I mean, they came out the first quarter and a half and were garbage, really. They had that uh, one drive. They had that one drive, and then you're right. After that, it was like, I mean, at one point yeah. I'm sitting there going like, are they going to get their doors blown off? I know. And, and it was a penalty fest for them earlier. And, and you know, the, the typical battle cry of the Bama fan after a loss is, well, the refs, you know, the refs fixed it. You know, the refs Which I, on. That, that, I always that. love. Like, it's a bizarre world. It's like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, the other 13 really? fan bases think the other 13 fan bases think the refs are in, in Alabama's pocket. And anytime Alabama loses, they think the refs are out to get them. So it is what it is. But, I mean, frankly, until a couple judgment pass interference calls in the second half, like most of Alabama's penalties, it wasn't – I mean – you couldn't even say the rest of the it was, six It was like was false like starts. You, yeah, when you false start and delay a game and jump off sides, I mean, and, and have like blatant holding calls, like you, you can't even make that excuse. Yes, there were a couple bang-bang pass interference calls in, in the fourth quarter or second half, actually. Um, I actually thought they kind of evened out. I mean, I think Alabama kind of got away with an offensive pass interference. Uh, it was at least borderline that was flagged on, on Tennessee that set up a Bama touchdown. And then the Hinden Hooker interception was wiped off by a borderline Alabama pass interference that then set up a Tennessee touchdown. So I, I call that kind of a wash. And um, but overall, just really undisciplined from Alabama. I mean, I was—I I know I, I, I shouldn't be stunned because I've covered enough Alabama games. But when I pulled up the stats for the season Sunday and saw Alabama ranks 131 out of 131 FBS teams for penalties uh, in terms of total penalties. I mean, that is just jarring. The, the best coach this sport has ever seen presides over a team right now who leads the nation 
in total penalties after 17 penalties at Neyland Stadium on Saturday. And that wasn't a one-off. You don't lead the nation uh, just by having that one game, especially on the road this year. They are just piling up penalties in, in droves. Uh, and then we saw afterwards with the Jermaine Burton situation that, that lack of discipline you know, carried over into the postgame scene. Talking to Blake Topmeyer, SEC columnist for the USA Today Network. Before we move on to some of the games this week, Blake, wanted to ask you, I mean, Tennessee's playing Martin this weekend. We assume that obviously they win that game. But I'm curious, obviously, I think what they showed against or proved against Alabama is you know, hey, like this is a playoff contender. Like it's a t- it's a team can, that yet again had another test, and man, they just keep passing. Like they can win every game. They can go undefeated this year and be in the playoff. How do you see this playing out for them? They've obviously got two two tough games coming up right after this Martin game against Kentucky, and then the big one against Georgia. Um, but how do you see the rest of this playing out? Do you see this ending in the playoffs for Tennessee? Do you see this being a just a, you know, a, to me, my gut tells me that they're probably like a Sugar Bowl team. But, like, after what they did to Alabama, I feel silly doubting that they can go, you know, they can do everything, so to speak. I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like, if I am forced to pick between this team ends up in the playoffs or this team goes to the Sugar Bowl, I'm probably a slight lean toward toward the Sugar Bowl. I think this team, if I were to pick it today, I think this team goes 11-1. and one. Uh, beats Kentucky, and, um, you know, loses in a competitive game at Georgia. But I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I wouldn't be stunned, certainly, if they go to Athens and, and upset Georgia in, in that game. And it will be an upset. Georgia will be the favorite at, at home. But the question then becomes, if you're 11-1 and with a loss to Georgia, and I know this isn't the way Tennessee looks at things, but folks like us, we can look at things like this, right? If they do uh, no, lose to Georgia, I focus, Blake. I focus one game at a time. I don't even want. I'm not comfortable uh, sure, even talking about sure, this. Yeah, I, yeah, we all. Martin's that, right? up next, and that's my mom's alma mater. <laughs> yeah. like, show them some respect. <laughs> yeah, any amount of ink uh, or words that have been exhausted on the game this weekend have been completely wasted. Yes, but uh, you know, if they lose in a tight one to Georgia, there is still an avenue to backdoor their way into the playoffs. But they would need help. You know, it depends on what happens elsewhere, and we've seen this happen. We saw it happen with Alabama. In 2017, we've seen it to where a team that does not win their division from the SEC can backdoor its way into the playoffs. I think for that to happen, Georgia would have to run the table, um, you know, be be 13 and 0, be number one uh, or or number two behind Ohio State, but probably number one going into the playoff. In Tennessee, sitting there at 11 and one, they might be able to backdoor their way in. But yeah, I guess. Overall, I'd probably say Sugar Bowl maybe is still the most likely destination, but I really don't think any bets are off with, with this team. The offense is playing so well. Hendon Hooker's playing so well. They are going to be a really tough out, and that includes Georgia. Yeah, my my biggest question is, is, is Tennessee going to be able to get Georgia into the shootout with them? Because I think what was a big aspect of last week is Tennessee was able to dictate the game, and they played the game that they were comfortable in, which is the wide-open shootout. Are we 100% certain that if Georgia has to get into a shootout that they can win it? Like, that to me, that's the fascinating question. Like, if Tennessee can make that game a shootout, like, I, think, I think I'd favor them. But uh, when I watch Georgia I think- in their secondary, it's like, I don't know if they can make that a shootout. Yeah, I, I think that's right. If a high-scoring game favors favors Tennessee, I, I agree. And the other thing is, 
you know, Alabama scored 49 points, and, <laughs> and I know it's a it's a mediocre Tennessee defense, but I also wonder, like, well, is Georgia going to score 49 points? Like, I don't know if Tennessee will have to score 52 to beat Georgia. You know, if they get to 38, 42, that might be enough to beat Georgia. I, maybe you got to hang 50. I don't, I don't think so, though. So, yeah, the higher the scoring game, I think the more it favors Tennessee. I don't know that they need to score as much as they did against Alabama. Uh, but, you know, defense probably needs to contribute something, All right. which they didn't for really the final two and a half quarters of that game. All right, we got to let you go. But before we do that, um, how do you feel about your SEC West leading Ole Miss Rebels as an underdog on the road against an unranked team? You know, I, I like Ole Miss in this game, but without a ton of conviction, it feels like. Okay. So we're in the same spot. Yeah. It's like, I think, I think like in the end, who has the best unit? I think Ole Miss's offense is the best unit, but I mean, what the hell? I have no idea. Like there it's, it's Jackson darts first real true road start. Like Vanderbilt, Georgia tech are not real road starts. This one is. So, I mean, I, I think Ole Miss is the team seven games into the season through the SEC that we know the least about because of their schedule. Um, and to their credit, they beat everybody in front of them, but this is their toughest test. I mean, you heard Lane Kiffin say it this week. He said this is the most talented team uh, we've faced, and he added some kind of, uh, I think he said, like, by far or, or by a wide margin or something to that effect. Like, it's not close. This is the best team Ole Miss has, has faced and, and really hasn't played a ton of great competition to this point. I, I guess one reason why I like Ole Miss maybe a little bit more. You know, I mentioned earlier I thought Hendon Hooker's supporting cast did a lot more for him than Bryce Young's did. I mean, Jaden Daniels, I think, for the most part, is improving. He had a really nice game in that win over Florida. Jackson Dart's performance as a passer has kind of come in fits and starts. He's been running it well. But I really like um, his supporting cast, particularly his offensive line and the guys in the backfield. Uh, I like his supporting cast on offense better than I like Jaden Daniels' supporting cast. Um, and if this gets into a high-scoring game, which I think it will, I just like Ole Miss's offense a, a little bit better. But, you know, at this point, I think most of us are in the camp of, yeah, Ole Miss is atop the West standings, but Still Alabama, Alabama yeah. flawed, flawed though they may be, they're the favorites in the West. But if Ole Miss comes out and wins, they don't, they don't even have to blow out LSU. If they win and you know, at least somewhat convincing fashion, I think the narrative might shift a little bit coming out of Saturday. It might be, okay, maybe Ole Miss isn't the front runner, but maybe maybe the maybe they need to be taken pretty seriously here as a contender to win the West. I don't think they're quite in that camp at this point just because of their schedule. We don't we don't really know how good they are. The narrative though has the potential to change based on what happens Saturday in Baton Rouge. Well and to your points, like yes, they've technically passed every test. But they've not passed every test like Tennessee has, in my opinion. Like, every time we gave Tennessee, like, I guess you could say the closest one was the pit. Like, they didn't pass that with flying colors. But, like, at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Like, it, that was a tough game. I mean, the reality is these next five games are going to define Ole Miss. Well, I'm, I'm now talked myself into Ole Miss goes down, has a pretty nice showing, and then goes and lays an egg at A&M. I've now talked myself into that making sense. Even coming off the bye? They're going to have an open week. Oh, no, no open week. No, they, they play A&M next week. And then they have an open. Yeah, I think yeah. A&M's a, a candidate to finish this season, I guess, strong is the word I'd use there. I mean, you can't erase the way the season started right. for them. They're, they're, never, they're not going to uh, 
live up to the expectations because they've they've already lost too many games. It's the the expectations um, were too high for this team. But I do think A and M, you know, they can finish with like eight and four, nine and three team. And, and you're right. I think um, <laughs> we keep looking at that. It, it's like if Ole Miss gets through this week, then oh, what a big game it'll be against Alabama on November 12th. Like, yeah, but yeah, that's a big if. Also- yeah, <laughs> Ole Miss. Literally, you look at their last five games. They're playing five toss up games. And argue, either toss-ups toss or they're going to be an underdog in the game. They are on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, Saturday, there's a, you know, at A&M they might be an underdog. Maybe if they win, they might not be. Yeah, I mean, I, but to your point, it's toss-up. Home against Bama, they're going to be an underdog. Yep. On the road against Arkansas, I think they're going to be an underdog in that game. Probably, and also they'll be playing Arkansas when Arkansas is getting healthier. And then, you know, maybe you're a slight favorite against Mississippi Probably State in the home. Egg Bowl. Yeah, like, yeah. but like it's five... Five games that could go either direction. And, and it, it, to me, it feels like a 10-2 and two Ole Miss team, which if you would have handed that at the beginning of the season to a rational Ole Miss fan after all that they lost this year, after how reliant they were on trans, you know, on transfers, you said, hey, they're going to go 10-2 this year. I think pretty much any, any rational Ole Miss fan would take that. Now that they're 7-0 and and sitting atop the West standings. Um, we get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.